Hello, this is Rhett Bartlett. A brief introduction about this audio you're about to hear. It's from September 1, 1984. It's an entire episode of the Could Have Been Champions on 3RRR, recorded off the radio by avid listener Raymond, who would always record the shows because he wanted to see if him and his friends called the Mobile Boys would win the quizzes and the competitions each week. So this is pretty much a complete episode of the Could Have Been Champions from 1984. There is a few seconds missing during the VFA report, but that's about it. So this episode includes Uncle. Uh, there's Greg Champion poems, academic think tank, still flows the Yarra, VFA report, and then punter to punter also make an appearance at the end. This audio was digitized from a cassette tape sent by Raymond to me in May 2020. Look, I declare, what's that there in the air? Is it a ball? Is it a pain? Not on your Nelly. You're not watching telly. You're on the air with Flair with Uncle, the ham of the radiogram. And the could have been champions. Hot damn. Larger than Michael Duck shorts. Sharper than the knives of Victoria Park. More prominent than David Cloak's derriere. I lay my soul bare. I want you to share rare fare beyond compare. Where? On 102.7, 3 triple R, the tireless wireless. The best bet yet on the crystal set. And now to set the pace, to put it in place, to take up the chase. To put forth the case, the man with a face from outer space. Leading the team down radio's race. The Honorable Jay Richardson, Esquire. MBE, OBE, SMP, PISED, AGINBO. Woof, 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 woof. Well, it wasn't a ship going down at sea, it was just, uh, I think it was Paul rattling around around the back there. It's two minutes past ten, welcome to the Could Have Been Champions, I'm Jeff Richardson. Good morning, Simon. How are you, Jeff? I'm fine, a bit of a sniffle, but uh, I'm still going to the footy. Richard Keddy, how are you? I'm uh, nearly on top of the world, except for last Sunday, Jeff. Well, you've had a haircut, I, I thought you might have been on your way to some sort of uh, prison camp to do a bit of penance after the pathetic showing last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, I don't know what you mean. I'm just, For listeners I'm, who don't know, Richard Teddy is the assistant coach at Sandringham, and people will recall that last week, last Saturday, after um, the annihilation of um, Sandringham by uh, Frankston... No, it was Williamstown. By Willi no, no, but the week before, that was Preston. Preston. By Preston. Frankston annihilated us about ten weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> by Preston. Richard told us that he was very happy with the way it was going down at the club because there was absolutely no panic. And, um, and there's been no panic at all There's been no week. panic whatsoever, no. and there was no panic on the football field either as Williamstown coasted to a 10-goal win over uh, Sandringham, thereby ensuring that Sandringham didn't make the finals this year. It was a 15-goal win, actually. 15-goal win, pardon me. But, of course, the good news is that that means Richard Keddy will be playing for the could-have-been champions tomorrow in the big clash, Jeff. Against punter to punter up at the Coburg footy ground, starting sometime tomorrow afternoon. So after we've all been to our Father's Day lunches, we'll head off down and... Uh, get changed and play a bit of footy but it's the last round of VFL today apart from the finals of course over the last two weeks there's been the players association threatening to go on strike over the Sunday finals wanting penalty rates well Richard how far do you reckon the players are going to go well this is the big test isn't it Jeff how, mu how much will the players fight how much will the, the VFL bureaucracy stand up to the to where the players are at and where they want to go well do you think the uh, the 
the union is actually out of touch with the membership on this one, where we've got a lot of the players coming out and saying that they won't go out over the issue. Well, I think, as probably was expected, Hawthorne turned around and decided they wouldn't support the uh, the strike. And, uh, you know, Hawthorne being a, a relatively conservative club, and the players and the committee tend to stick together. They're in a pretty tight unit. So when are the next clubs going to fall? There's only four to go after that. Oh, it's the most stupid thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's like... First of all, the issue is all wrong. I mean, why should they get penalty payments for playing on Sunday as opposed to playing on Saturday? It's, I've never heard anything so ridiculous. So, firstly, I mean, I would like to be able to say that um, I hope they succeeded, but um, they're just on the wrong side of this issue. There's no reason they should be paid extra for playing on Sunday. Well, I disagree, Simon, because I think you've got a lot of players who, who have their jobs as well as their football, and if football turns into Sunday football and then middle-of-the-week football, then... They've got to become full-time professionals if they want to stay in the game. Well, if they want to be paid as full-time professionals, aren't the players full-time <laughs> professionals? I think the whole problem comes with the way it's conceptualised. We've got Peter Moore a couple of years ago talking about how the players' union should be something like the Airline Pilots Guild or something upmarket like this. Uh, I really think the, the union should model itself more on actors' equity. I think that's more where it belongs. They're right. basically involved in, in an entertainment industry. I think e equity is, is a good model for what they should be should be looking at them. Do you think they should do absolutely nothing at all? Well, no, equity, doesn't, equity, e does? equity doesn't do nothing at all. No, I think they should... Except they should for stop, members? Stop gridiron players being brought up. Right. <laughs> so would that mean that they'd refuse to take the field if someone like Silvio Fascino wanted to come, with, come on with them? Or? No, I don't, I don't know what it would mean, but uh, that's what I reckon. Look, la last week, Bob Ansett's walked out in the middle of the field and he's told the umpires off and it's this amazement. He said the kind of thing that I say at the football. I he's, couldn't believe it. He's gone out to them and said, are you being instructed to make sure that North don't win? And, and Actually, Jeff, I sit, thought it sit, was you. <laughs> we sit around here and we go, oh, the league, it's all a plot against us. Bob Ansett and uh, Elliot and all them, they get together <laughs> with Aylett and they rig it all so that their clubs win. And here's poor old Bob Ansett just reacting like good old Joe fan. Isn't it good to see? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> except he's allowed to walk out there and yell at the umpies. We've got to stay behind the fence and yell at yeah, the umpies. Yeah, it cost him $1,500 <laughs> for the privilege. But it's part of his management philosophy that one one day a month he wants to be a part of his uh, company and so one day a month he's got to take the field. Well, <laughs> his, his his dollar has been driven further. <laughs> it's been driven I a bit say, too far, if you ask me. I've got to put the suck bag on uh, here and um, say that I was at that game and um, I didn't think the umpiring was up to much, I must say. And in that second quarter there was one particularly bizarre incident where a North Melbourne player got a free kick on the, ha uh, the half-back flank he picked up the ball and he probably wasn't... Uh, he was on a bit of an angle to his mark, but he was at least 10 metres be towards the, the uh, opposite goal. Well, anyway, he picked up the ball and just started running, you know, heading off towards the boundary line. Well, I couldn't believe it. The umpire stopped the play and made him come back to kick behind his mark and he got the kick on the half-back flank. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was a classic example of, you know, you will do it my way, and I say come back, well, which, I, which I thought was pretty poor. Well, that's honestly. the psychology of umpiring, I suppose, isn't it? That's why well, it's not the psychology it. of most of the umpires, and I'd normally, I'm normally a pretty big rep for the umpires, but uh, there were some pretty um, unfortunate decisions, <laughs> I think, especially in that second quarter at, uh, well, so at the end. So that you're going on record as... As agreeing no, with I'd Bob No, I'd never agree with anybody who complained about the umpiring. But you, do, you are public. agreeing with Bob Ansett. But I agree that the umpiring And you are a St wasn't. Kilda supporter, so that explains <laughs> a lot. Well, Bobby Ansett's actions certainly have blown sky high any conspiracy theories that we all so fondly cling to when our <laughs> sides are being beaten. But it does highlight one thing, and that's the race for the five. Fitzroy could be in the five after today. Last week, not a word about how they played, apart from uh, the... 
the elder of the Bernie brothers kicking all those goals. Everything was all about Bob Ansett whinging, nothing about how well Fitzroy played, and they could just get there. And, Simon, I know you'll, you'll jack up over this, but if Richmond had knocked St Kilda off a couple of weeks back, there would be, in fact, four sides vying for fifth spot today, which, oh, yeah. which is just a promoter's dream. Yes, it's a pity Richmond aren't in it, because I think Richmond are probably, uh, are probably a better side than um, some of the ones that are in it. And Slim Dusty's going to sing at the grand final too, and he, Which barracks, is a beautiful he thing. barracks for Richmond. Yeah, I think I think Richmond probably is uh, a better side than Footscray or um, uh, Geelong, um, but the, it'll be a even though Geelong beat them by fifteen goals. Well, that's a good. <laughs> that's right, but I still we do can see think Richmond. There, I still do think Richmond are the better side. They've, they've got club troubles down there. I mean, when you look at them on paper, there's nothing wrong. There's no reason why that Richmond side couldn't be one of the best there's in the league. There's no reason why any of the sides shouldn't be the best in the league. Now look at North Melbourne. Last year they finished on top of the list. This year they're second bottom. 82, Richmond finished on top of the list. They've been bottom ever since. And remember back in 1980, Geelong finished on top of the list. Yeah. There's not a lot of difference. You look at your bottom bottom sides at the moment. They both won five games. When did St Kilda last finish on top of the list? Oh, it was the year before they won the flag, 65. They finished yeah. on top of the list, and they, but they still Exception didn't. Exception that proves the rule. Still didn't win it. But well, uh, It suggests that uh, a form team's got to have a big chance in the finals, doesn't it? And Fitzroy, and Fitzroy if they can the get in there. Team. They, they've, oh, only yeah. been, they've only been playing footy for the last nine weeks. But, it's mid-season But they them. need that latitude. Uh, you know, Fitzroy played this game of... Um, as soon as the ball goes over the centre line, there are uh, five blokes running for the boundary as fast as they can go. and uh, Interchange. <laughs> They're the five forwards, except for Bernie Quinlan, who stands in the goal square with a full back jumping around him, wondering whether to run out to meet the guys picking up the ball on the boundary or to stand next to where Bernie is. And Bernie stands there doing his nails and waiting for the ball to come. So um, I think in a side where they, against Hawthorne or Essendon, they wouldn't get that sort of latitude. Bernie Quinlan wouldn't be kicking 11 goals then. Oh, we'll wait and see, mm. eh? But they might not make it. But I'm, they're the third best side in the league. But I'm tipping St Kilda today, so it could, it could muck oh, it up good completely. On you, Jeff. Uh, Richard, you were saying earlier, uh, it, you look at the way it is. About Alan this, this, this bat- No, not, not, not what you were saying about Alan Jews. We're not allowed to say that one. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a promoter's dream with this battle for the five, and yet the league has suffered such turbulence. You've got the attendances down, 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 when... When here you've got uh, three clubs fighting for fifth spot, only one game today isn't deciding something to do with the five, and that mm. that game that's not Richmond and Melbourne could decide the Brownlow with Mark mm. Lee and Peter Moore, and yet yet the league's in the pits. They've got player rebellion on their hands. They've got crowd problems, money problems. They don't know where their clubs are going to go. They don't know if they're going to go national or interstate or community. Or and they've got nobody to kick interstate now. Who could they kick interstate? You see, the St Kilda only owes two hundred thousand. If the league says you've got to go to Brisbane, we'll just say well. Get Nick and go down the bank and get the two hundred thousand from them and give it back to the league. Actually, actually, actually I, I think Sydney if it came to Brisbane, to, I think. Well, if, if it did come to a crunch and they were trying to select teams that they wanted in the national comp, I feel that St Kilda might just miss out, Simon. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, out of it. it. <laughs> uh, they, they've mucked it up. I think the trouble is, footy's just not as much fun to watch as it was. That's why mm. people don't go. Anyway, we'll be back soon. Now it's time for the Coulda Beans Pithy and Prosaic Poet Laureate. That five-star rhyme star, that bucolic bard, taking things from me to diverse, offering felicitations and recitation. Come on, champs, dingle your jingle. Morning, Jeff. Good morning, Greg. How are you today? I'm good. We've had a good week this week, Greg. We've finally got uh, the album in the can. How was that mix? That mix was fine. Was it? It was just a bit out of phase, but they can fix it up at the cutters. Really? And uh, I took it down there. So, listeners, the Could Have Been Champions Best Of album will be available from Monday week. So, 
All those people who've written in, your copies are reserved for you. So if you don't want to miss out, write in with an order for one in this coming week. Greg, have we got a new poem or have we got a rerun of a stale old Savloy there? <laughs> We've got a one rerun and one new poem, which is an old poem, which I've never read before, but that's because... What's it's, it called? It's called Not Quite Mortal, and it's because it's one of my more eclectic, how we say, ethereal... Uh, works, and that's the kind of term you use for a palm which is of dubious quality, you know. Well, let, it, let us judge that for ourselves, Greg. Let's hear it. A work of arguable integrity, a work of huh, suspect uh, substance, as they say, in the trade, not quite mortal. <coughs> uh, not quite mortal. Hmm. You see, I come from Adelaide. I barrack for Norwood. Who wouldn't? They're fantastic. Over there, no one follows Torrens or West. They all follow Norwood or Port. Actually, Port are quite popular. Sturt have got a few fans. But my subject today, mighty Norwood. Norwood are so mighty, they're not quite mortal. Even when they were bottom, they were still exciting. They had flair and charisma. Over here... Punters follow Collingwood with a passion, or they follow the Bombers fanatically. Some of them love Footscray to distraction. But Norwood, they're a phenomenon. They're something completely different again. A mighty red-legged mean machine. Well, I see what you mean about it being a bit ethereal, meaningless, and even yeah. a bit down on quality. Right. It, had all, it had all of those features. But, uh, but they gave it a three. The judges have given that a three. <laughs> but uh, now... I do feel, in its own uh, weird and uh, uh, and how you say uh, that, that that wasn't three points. That was a percentage mark on okay. that one, Greg. All right. Uh, was that our, our token South Australian football comment for the year? That's right. Yes, Pete Endersby has been able to make it in, so yeah. uh, Greg made up for it all in one fell swoop. But What's this next part no, called? No, don't rush me. Despite what <coughs> you say, you literary giants here in the studio, I do believe in my own way as an artist of uh, some dubious uh, origins. No, I am going to rush but, you, Greg. Uh, <laughs> That uh, that poem is great. Now I want some of you literary critics out there, some of you academics and teachers. Okay, we'll get Doctor. We'll get Doctor Duke onto it. Right. We'll get him to do a job on it. Right. The trouble with Reese Jones again. Oh, I love it. And you know why? Because I met a senior footballer, and his name is Peter Dean from Carlton. And you know how I met him? Yes, that's right. The girl I, f I won't say. <laughs> the girl I flat with, uh, brought him home from a pub one night just to meet me. And three o'clock in the morning, in my own lounge room, I met Peter Dean from Carlton. Sorry, I won't, and I won't drop any names here. I met a Carlton player. And uh, Peter Dean said that they listen to the show a lot, and he likes uh, the poems, and he does like the Rhys Jones uh, uh, slag-offs. So here we go with a bit of Rhys Jones attack. If I was a champion footballer, I'd still want to punch Rhys Jones. There's something about Rhys Jones that makes the blood boil in your bones. Maybe it's that pasty face petulant, youthful pout that drives great players on to try and wipe him out. He's always in the rumbles, whether he started them or not. And even if he didn't, he's quickly on the spot to share his love for humanity, to help out where he can, to give advice and punch ahead because he cares for his fellow man. I've seen some outright champions who've never harmed a flea take a swing at the undisputed king of mental instability. He's got that special something, that elusive boyhood charm. Makes you want to bite his nose off or gently break his arm. He's the Charles Manson of the VFL. Look out if he comes near you. The word's out. 
He's a couple of sandwiches short of the full barbecue. The trouble with those like David goes back to their youth as a rule. He may have been kicked by his dog or, or bashed by the bullies at school. So we shouldn't be angry with David. He, he needs our sympathy, I guess. He's a tortured soul crying out for love and happiness. He's a man trapped in his destiny, a poor soul lost and alone. In bed tonight, won't you say a prayer for the tragic David Reese jones Well, hmm? Greg, you've, you've asked for recognition of your greatness, and yeah. I've, I've brought Dr. Duke into the studio to deconstruct that text for you. That one there, or...? Doctor, what, what's this your verdict on This seems to me a completely new departure in your work, uh, Greg. Uh, perhaps... It even goes beyond the uh, Jimmy Jest trilogy. Uh, what's led you on to these new sort of uh, developments? Well, uh, this is what I call the stream of consciousness mm -hmm. uh, area in my work, and that's for anything that doesn't rhyme. Right. Postmodernism is, is having its impact on you well, it's at this cubist, late stage. Cubist. Cubist, yeah. My poems are written in little boxes, and you have to look at them to get their full impact. Your depiction of Rhys Jones in that poem reminded me a bit of Robert Lowell. Has he been a big influence on you? Who is Robert, anyway? <laughs> Robert, he played half-forward flank for uh, the New England uh, Meatheads. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, he has. You been remember Bobby Lowell? Oh, Bobby. Half-forward flank for Fitzroy back in the. I think it's coming. I think it's coming back. I to feel me. that in your work, uh, David Rhys Jones represents something of what, in you know, deconstructionist criticism, with which you're well acquainted, yes. is called the floating signifier. He has that ability that to float, so? to float in the air there. Yeah. He's a floating signifier, do you think? I think, well, I think I know what you mean. I think I'm getting the thrust of that. Or maybe yeah. I aren't. Yes. Uh, are many of your poems concerned with uh, mental anguish and breakdown the way this one is? He's pretty deep, this guy. I never realised there was all this stuff in my works. Is that true, Dr Duke? Well, many naive poets, and I use that term in the <laughs> nicest possible way, are surprised to find uh, just how much there is in their, in their work. I don't know if you know anything at all. Do you actually, see right? yourself as the pro heart of poetry? Uh, no, uh, wheat hearts. <laughs> wheat hearts with me uh, in my breakfast. And uh, if we've just got a second, thank you for that uh, wonderful constructive analysis there, Dr. Duke. Uh, I believe that he's well known, but not to me. Mr. Dickens of the Melbourne Times and his foot Well, Fitzroy we're not going to read his stuff out, Greg. Oh, you're running <laughs> short for time, are you, mate? Um, we were getting a bit ahead of ourselves there with that intellectualism. I think it's just a nice little lead into the old uh, Acker Think Tank. What does footy mean to you? Drinking beer and eating pies? For Gary Wickham and Bobby Stewart, it's a game to theorise, dichotomise and intellectualise. Those prattling profs, what funny guys. Hit the post-structuralist, Karl Marx of the day, 4 and 20 pi r squared. These are buzzwords and jazzwords and jargon you'll hear in Academic Think Tank. Sir Gary, Robert, start thinking chaps and don ye now your thinking caps. Morning, Jeff. Good morning, Gary. It's great to see you all in here with your thinking caps. It's a, it's a very big think tank, isn't it? Bob, Bob's still shivering. He still thinks he's up the snow. He's got his tan on. Good oh, to see you back, Bob. Actually, this is a Mildura tan, Jeff. Oh, I thought you were up the snow. Oh, that, was a, that was two weeks ago. Now, last week I went for a trip around the Murray. It was lovely. Oh. Where'd you get that congealed bruise on your forehead, Bob? I thought that was from skiing. You <laughs> fell off the uh, Murray River Cruiser, didn't you? Yeah, I did, actually. Under the, uh, the not the propeller, what do they call them? Uh, the oh, paddle the wheels, paddles, I think paddles, they have. Yeah, right. maybe I thought yeah, it was from Chris the would know, Chris would know all about I fell into Lock 11, actually. You're a historian, Chris. Good morning, Chris. You sort of jumped in there. And Hutcho, <laughs> you haven't changed your clothes from last night. No, I'm still well, you know, how it is on Friday nights, don't you? Good morning, Hutcho. Good morning. You and Bob are a real pair. You've both had a beard trim as well. Yes, well, 
that time of the year, isn't it, really? It's finals Fi coming up. Finals coming up. Springtime, it brings on the shearing, so right. you've all had yeah. your beards trimmed. Yeah. Gary, what, what's going to be our central well, thesis on the think tank this morning? this giant academic think tank, Jeff, is today going to have a look at the last round, as you know it is. Oh, jeez, that was so convoluted, wasn't it? I'll start all over again. Today is the last round of the season. We're going to look. The first thing we're going to look at is to decide whether... Uh, for at least six of the clubs, this That's might even be worse. Yeah. I think you better start <laughs> again. I start starting again. What do you mean to say? Uh, go away and have a cup of coffee. About <laughs> 11 o'clock, we'll actually will start looking at what we're going to look at. What we really want to know is whether this is the last round, the last <laughs> round forever. Ever. That's ever. what we want to know, isn't it? Yeah. Apocalypso. Apocalypso. Yeah. Well, look, I think the last round for Richmond ever was in about round four <laughs> after seeing them last Saturday, so I'm not really concerned about whether it's the last round for other clubs, but it might be for Fitzroy, I think, and maybe St Kilda if they can't get their scheme of arrangement working again. But what about the Carlton President's plan to get rid of six clubs? What about that? Oh, well, that's just so they've got double the chance of winning a premiership, I think. So, wait, you're not treating it seriously at all, Chris? No, look, I don't think it's really a serious gesture on the part of these if you, blokes. If you think, think back a to a ploy, sorry, if you think back to a few weeks, a few years back, South Melbourne finished their last game thinking that the next season they were going to be South Melbourne playing in Melbourne. The first the round of the next season they were the Sydney Swans playing in Sydney. Yeah, so but I thought we were going to do away with this thinking back. Gary, I didn't think that counted in when discussing football anymore. <laughs> I think of it as the Michael Byrne syndrome, really. I mean, there was a bloke who turned up at training one day and they said... Michael, there's a taxi waiting for him. He thought, well, he's going to Silvers or something like that, but really end up playing North and he's going to play in a premiership. Think of that. That's so it's the Michael Byrne syndrome. I think next year we'll have uh, uh, probably only six Melbourne clubs. Certainly it's the last round of the year for the favourite spot up at Princess Park because the bulldozers move in next week. What do they do? Well, they're supposed to be tearing down all the terraces, Bob, tearing down the press box and building a new stand. But uh, that's an issue we haven't really talked about much on the Could Have Been Champions, and we certainly should be. They're going to ruin one of the best spots to watch footy. But they're also going to ruin one of the best spots to play footy because it's the last round for the Junction Oval. That's another thing. That's, that's dead right. So uh, they're going to move up to Collingwood, and just despite the residents and things that our local friends around here. Just like South Melbourne went to Sydney, despite everyone involved. And all those local residents in Randwick at Sydney, they're not <laughs> <laughs> So we're losing the, both the Junction Oval and Arden Street, is that right? So we'll be two grounds less next year. Oh, hang on, where are North going to play? The MCG. They are? Yes. Well, how do you fit... Uh, you heard it first. How do you fit three sides into... Bob, we've been over this many times. I've been away. Yeah, you just can't work Richmond things out, out, can you? Bob, out Bob, pay attention. This is statistical. You'll enjoy this. I, I've been advocating for years that Fitzroy should go to the MCG. I think they belong there much more nicely. You, you play... There's 22 rounds, right? Each, yeah, each club you. plays seven games there. That's 21. Right. Okay, that's their seven home games. When they play their away game against the other two clubs, that brings each club up to actually playing nine games at the MCG. So you end well, up with works. a very works. nice... It really does. Works beautifully. And North Melbourne are going to make it work for them, and I think Fitzroy will be sorry they ever went up to crummy old Collingwood. Well, I think it's a tragedy to see the end of both the Junction Oval and Arden Street. But too. you won't Why? see the end of it. Around. St Kilda are going to go back there. Where'd you hear that from? Well, after today, they're going, they're going to win today, you see, and stop Fitzroy making the finals. And they'll be so pleased with the win, they'll move back there. You amaze me, Gary. I mean, every week we, uh, we have a look at how many uh, people turned out at the Arden Street ground, and you're looking at 8,000, and maybe on a good day you get 14,000. And 
you've got the gall to say, you know, oh, look, it's going to be a sad occasion when, uh, when North Leave It's not quantity, Bob, it's quality. Oh, quality. <laughs> when was the last time you were at Arden Street? You're just up there that's in the I, that's, MCG, that's yeah, no in the one... members' reserve. You don't know what it's like to stand on the wing at Arden Street or at <laughs> I, the Junction I do know Arden. what it's like. That's why I don't go back. And really, the, the ground uh, doesn't have any attraction to me at all. And uh, the well, same with... It's genuine Merry Creek mud on that ground. I haven't done this artificial topsoil or anything on that Not ground. They had so few cops at that game there last Saturday. This bloke in a long white coat got over the fence at half-time and got right out of the centre and was having a go at the umpire before anybody noticed him. Well, it's a disaster moving clubs like Fitzroy and North Melbourne to the MCG. Why don't we use the Brunswick Street ground again? Maybe we should really go back and <laughs> fence it off. That's well, what we no, need to fence it It could be that Fitzroy might train at the Brunswick Street Oval. Oh, that's... That, did you just make that one up, or no, is that that's, a, tr- a that's true a truism? Hutcho, <laughs> <laughs> whereabouts are you going to watch footy at, at Carlton after they get rid of the press box area there? Oh, God knows. We're having a meeting about it today, actually. You'll we'll have to go up behind go. the glass with all the rich spicks. No, right. hold on. That's an, are you really having a meeting about it today? Yeah. Well, it's the, it's the right-wing press who are stirring up to have this new stand put in. They're quite happy to see all the people who watch footy on that wing shoved off to go and pay their $12 to get a super box all round the other side. Hmm. So what's your excuse? Well, I mean, it's not. We've we've lobbied heavily with Mr. Elliot, but all we've got out of him is going to put a plaque on the new grandstand <laughs> with the names like the dead, lest we forget all the people who used to stand there. Well, all the journalists who were drunk and rolled down the, the other thing that'll disappear. The bottom, well, I mean, I've sat in the press box at Princess Park, and I think it's a lovely press box, very nice press box. But I don't, and they all these other blokes get cold. I don't know what's the matter with. Well, them. that's not very solid of you there. That you've um you've really broken ranks on that one. Yeah. Well, today, as soon as it's the last, I'm going to report the game from the wing. Oh, well done, I think. Thank yeah. you very much. <coughs> Couldn't you be the, the other thing that'll disappear when the uh, when they bulldoze all that is the longest... You know how in Mildura they've got the longest bar in the world? They're well, going to get... Park, that's the longest dunny wall in the world. But that's miles away from the press box. Yeah, but it's all, you know, when you get when you get renovations, you have to do the kitchen and the oh, toilet and all that. Well, they're going to do that. Well, that's because that, that toilet services the hill area. Now what they're having there, Jeff, is a, is a restaurant... Um, so many super boxes and a room for about 500 people who are prepared to pay the $12 to sit, so they won't need that big toilet there anymore. That's true. Chris, Chris and I were, d- were down at Geelong last week. We were under the windsock there watching, and there was there was none of this sort of stuff, was there? No, there wasn't even a football match on <laughs> down there, Gary. I mean, I don't know why we really went down there. The oil refinery was pretty exciting on the way down, but... Uh, oh, we managed to get into the Pivots Bar the afterwards, bar was great, and that was yeah. all right. Yeah, I mean, there's not even any Geelong supporters in there. I think they should go back to Corio Park, really, Geelong. <laughs> where they used to be. I never knew they used the to be there. When did they play there? Before the war. Yeah? That's according to that legendary football writer, Professor Geoffrey Blaney, who wrote about it a little while Yeah, ago. look, I've got a tip about Geoffrey Blaney. He was seen having dinner with Alan Aylett a few weeks ago, so I don't know whether the VFL's getting into the politics of racism or whether they're getting a new history <laughs> written. No, but, no, uh, they are. It's uh, been revealed uh, by sources close to the academia that uh, <laughs> Professor Blaney is writing the official history of the VFL. Gee starting in a year or so. Oh, yes, and I, I can just see it. He'll have a final chapter saying that um, the number of Aboriginals playing VFL football is getting ahead of public opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Morris Rioli playing far too well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, pub, the public isn't ready for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're worried about that. Well, what, what else about next year? I mean, are the, are the VFL finally going to recognise the Players Association? Don't this, see why they should. latest dispute. Going to force that on them. I've caned them this time. I don't seem any closer you know, to it. I was, right. I was reading a very heavy academic article in the Economic Record, boys, a few weeks ago. That's like the footy record. <laughs> it is a bit like that. <laughs> and just as a relative for a lot of people, but uh, an economist from Sydney called Bram Dabchek, who some of you have probably heard about. That's Rocky's brother. That's right, it is Rocky's brother. And uh, he was saying, well, listen, you know, the, uh, the VFL in 1976 were taking a very professional attitude and uh, it was all part of this growing professionalism 
as to why they were going to give full recognition of the Players Association. But what's that, eight years later, they seem to have turned right about and refused to talk to them. I think that's union, these must be a sentimentalist. No, I think the Players Association themselves have got to take a bit of the blame, though. They haven't really got in there and organised as they should. And oh, that is, I don't know about that. they've I got to get like actors' equity. They've got to forget this union business. Oh, <laughs> they're basically in show business. Well, show business has a union too. Yeah, but that's the people who hand out the tickets and stuff. The performers all have to be in equity. Yeah, but they function as a union and they function very well as a union. They've managed to make their bands and their uh, campaigns very effective, unlike the players. Their bands? They're, they're Scottish children, aren't they? Love children. <laughs> anyway, isn't that Dabchek? Wasn't he president of Czechoslovakia once? Oh, something like that, yeah. He's off in the salt mines now. Yeah. It's time for Still Face of the Yarra. Look, thanks for all those thoughts. Next week's it's the finals, and I think maybe perhaps between the four of you, you could come up with a new system to replace the five. Could you go away and work on that this week? Yeah, I Certainly. think the team that finishes on top should be the Premiers, and then we can have September off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the VFL are heading towards the final 12. <laughs> Joyless Jeremiad of the Jaded Hyenas. Episode 23, Jabbed. The story so far. After a series of debacles orchestrated by Parkville coach Grubber Sneed, the Hyenas have slipped out of the five, on percentage. But they're still vying for fifth position, along with Geelong, Fitzroy and also Footscray, whom the Hyenas meet today at the Western Oval, in a last-ditch stand to avoid relocation in Beirut. We join Coach Barnacle and his loyal campaigners amid tense scenes in the visitors' rooms, only minutes before the big game. Uh, you fellows, quiet, uh, please. If I could have your attention, uh, Coach Barnacle would like to take uh, this opportunity to have a few words with you. Thanks, Bergs. OK, fellas, the conditions won't be easy out there today. The Bureau of Meteorology has predicted torrential rain, gale force winds, hail, sleep, sleet and possible arctic blizzards. Jeez, coach, with this shithouse Melbourne weather, I wouldn't mind a bit of lemonade sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> don't interrupt me, Phil Jacuzzi. I'm Jim Jacuzzi, coach. I don't give a stuff who you are, son. You won't enjoy that sunshine when you have to have that shithouse chickpea dip for breakfast and spend the afternoon stab-passing hand grenades to Armin Jamile. Right, coach. And besides, Jimmy Jacuzzi... You'll miss all of the great personal freedoms that we have here in Australia that are so often taken for granted. You know, like freedom of lifestyle that allows me to stay at home instead of Helen and change little Liam's nappies. But you broke his leg, Fitzy. Or the freedom to eat in the foreign restaurant of your choice. This is right, Fitzy, this is right. Now, are we going to let that toad ailet rub our faces in that shithouse lebo grub? Oh, oh yuck. yuck! No way, yuck! OK, then. What are we going to do to him? Go, go out there and, and kill him! OK, Bergs, open the door to the race. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Back to the shed. 
Come on, fellas. Come on, fellas. Man up. Remember, the conditions are just as bad for both teams. And besides, if we win today, we'll make the final. Can the hyenas tackle the Arctic conditions at the Western Oval? We join Harry Beitzel in the dying moments of the game. And you're listening to 3AW Football out here at the Western Oval, where the conditions have been woeful. Footscray and the hyenas, two of the great communicators in the VFL, have been pathetic in winds of up to 300 kilometres per hour. In the dying minutes of the final stanza, both teams are locked on one goal, 26 behind the piece, and... Oh, a sensation! A great gust of wind has hit the Western Oval and has wrenched the ball from Dougie Hawkins' grasp and is carrying it through the air towards the hyena's goal. Oh, it's floated 150 metres and through the hyena's goal for a behind, putting them a point in front, and it really looks down. That's it, there's the zone. So the hyenas take out this game by one point and sneak into the five in a sensation. We'll cross quickly to Cardinia Park for a score from Tommy Layer. Are you there, Tommy? Can you hear me, Tommy? Well, it looks as if uh, we really can't get through to uh, Tommy like. Can you hear me, Harry? The main goal kickers, if you would, Tommy. Harry? The goal kickers in order, please, you old pisspot. Yes, Harry, uh, I've been a bit out of wind here. Uh, you know what? Uh, I've just been noticing the way they used to field umpires out here at Gardenia Park. Uh, is that something new, is it, Harry? Oh, Christ. Just the goal kickers, if you would, Tommy. Yes, Harry. Uh, well, the boy Ablett's kicked uh, two. Uh, well, that's seven. Uh, this is Jeff Ablett, uh, Harry. Or Kevin, rather. Um, is it? Yeah, Kevin. No, uh, Gary. Uh, Jeff. Jeff. Well, we hope to go back to Tommy Layer in a moment. Well, there's been a further incident here at the Western Oval, listeners, and I'll be sure to be commenting on this in the Sunday Observer tomorrow on the ABC News on Monday and on Wednesday to my favourite barber. The wind has lifted literally millions of umbrellas from the hands of the spectators and has carried them in a great whirling maelstrom over the hyena players as they are leaving the ground. There could be injuries as those pointy bits can jab you in the eye. And I for one have been arguing for years that umbrellas should be banned at BFL Max. It's a scene of jubilation as the hyenas make their way towards the race. Hey, what did we do? We killed a man! Oh, God, what the hell? Pitsy, the whole sky's gone dark. It must be the last wave. No, no, Jimmy Jacuzzi. It's millions of umbrellas flying through the air. They're lethal, those things. The pointy bits can jab you in the eye. Run for it! Run for it! Oh, my eye! My eye! Oh, shit! My eye! My eye! Good evening and thank you for joining us here on Nationwide. Later on we'll be looking at extraordinary allegations of Justice Lionel Murphy's involvement in the slaying of President John F. Kennedy. But first of all, Saturday's very disturbing incident at the Western Oval. I was at home uh, stripping some banisters when the news came through of the Footscray umbrella fiasco, although I suppose if you're a hyena fan it's more of an umbrella tragedy. Well with me in the studio at the moment I have hyena president Mr Lindsay Andrew Airport. Mr Airport Four hyena players suffered detached retinas as a result of Saturday's incident. You must be shocked and pretty worried down at Hyena Stadium with the finals only one week away. Uh, well, uh, 
Peter, uh, we're not panicking uh, down at Hyena Stadium. Uh, most of the uh, tables for the grand final gala celebrity breakfast are already sold. All the Hyena VIP finals seats have been taken up. And uh, fortunately, uh, next year's sponsorship deal was closed uh, before the Footscray game uh, last week. But uh, what about the players? Uh, are they anything more than just useless commodities to you now? Peter, um, I don't think that's really fair. Uh, those players are not treated as useless commodities by the Hyena administration. Why, uh, at this very moment, we're negotiating to sell those four players to Collingwood and uh, the proceeds should be sufficient to purchase... Uh, an executive jet for the Hyena's Brains Trust now. That's not what I call useless. Well, thanks, Mr. Airport. Uh, now, I also have with me Victorian Premier John Kane. Mr. Kane, when is something finally going to be done about this umbrella problem? Well, the Victorian government, Peter, represents people uh, of Victoria, uh, most of whom are uninteresting, uh, middle-class couples with two boy-time children. Uh, insofar, Peter, as, as representing their interests goes, I can talk the league off wooden chair. Yes, Mr Premier, but can you give us an outline of the legislation tabled in State Parliament today? Uh, yes, indeed, Peter. Uh, we propose certain restrictions on the use uh, of umbrellas at VFL football matches. Uh, now, no spectators will be allowed, uh, uh, henceforth, uh, to take their own private uh, umbrellas into the grounds. Um, umbrellas will be available uh, for hire to the patents at the grounds for a nominal fee. Surely uh, we could see a recurrence of last week's disturbing incident, Mr Premier. Uh, no, Peter. Uh, we've developed a new non-folding umbrella uh, without the pawny bits. Uh, now, patrons will therefore be limited to two, uh, two uh, open umbrellas per middle-class family. Thank you, Mr Premier. Well, that's, uh, that's all we have time for tonight, but uh, it certainly makes you stop and think that umbrella story, uh, harmless as they may seem. Still, it just goes to show... Thought, how thoughtless people can be and um, goes to justify the old saying there's no pride of place at a round table. It's heartening of course to see our state government addressing the really important issues of our society rather than chasing votes on those high profile uh, frivolous ones. There will be more platitudes from me tomorrow night. Until then, good night from all of us here at Nationwide. Last the hyenas have shaken off the Lebanon threat, but can they get through the elimination final against Collingwood, having lost four of their best players? And just what is a detached retina? Find out next week in episode 24, Disgust.
Well, you can see what just fair-weather commentators the VFA panel is. The season's finally ended. We're into the finals. And uh, the only two representatives of the panel this morning are the about-to-be-sacked assistant coach down at Sandringham, Richard Ketty, and the about-to-be-sacked chief coach at Coburg, Phil Cleary. Well, pretty disappointing end of the season, boys. Yeah, uh, where's George, uh, Tony and Ron? I think they've um, gone to buy members' tickets for the VFL next year. <laughs> Very nice of them. Yeah, Richard, you may as well kick off. I've got nothing to say. Yeah, I, I, I can just add to that my own uh, silence and perhaps, you know, that's, that's where we'll leave it. That's pathetic. I've barracked for Sandringham all my life and uh, they've been absolutely humiliated in the last two weeks. Worse even than when they were cleaned up by Port in the 77 Grand Final and I hold you personally responsible, Richard. <laughs> I know, Jeff, I know. Yeah, I agree. It was a humiliation. There's no doubt about it. What about the fireworks down at Frankston and Port? Wasn't that great TV stuff? Excellent. It was like it was. It took me back to 1968. What just sitting, sitting, pretending to do my homework and watching the watching the footy on the Sunday Arvo. The big talk too was that uh, there was an attempt to arrest a Port player during Shades the Shades of quarter. Tommy Layeth. Because, um, as you'd know, the Mace boys who uh, used to play at Frankston were all constables, or constables ran in the family and. Uh, a few of the constables around the Frankston boundary line were a bit keen to apprehend a certain Port Melbourne player. Mm, mm, really? Now, now, what happened that time that, that Tommy Laugh was arrested? That was against Coburg, wasn't it? It was. It was against, uh, for uh, saying nasty things to a player called Billy Byron. It, it wasn't was even for hitting somebody. Ago. Billy no, Byron. That's right. He, he was a Coburg player, was he? He was a Coburg. He wore the illustrious what? number 18. I was going to ask you about his number. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, great history in that number. Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was good for VFA football, so they say. Well, Back I had that argument all week. Days. I had that argument all week with people telling them how bad it was for the VFA, and they kept saying, no, it was great for the VFA. Channel 10 were hunting for one, and they, they got it. They certainly got it. They yeah. couldn't have written a better script, could they? Not at all. And, of course, the Liston Trophy to... Uh, Peter Getty, I think it's pronounced, actually. No, it's, I, it is Getty's. Getty's. Well, I, you know, I was there at the uh, Liston County. Of course, I was invited to uh, see myself score one vote, which was very <laughs> nice. Thanks to the umpires. And Bet uh, you were relieved. I was told, yeah. <coughs> I was told that they had the wrong pronunciation. Really? Mm, mm. That it was, in fact, Getty. A bit upmarket down at Frankston. But what I was going to say was it's a great... It's, it's in VFA tradition that uh, another working-class ladder fireman at uh, somewhere, I'm not sure where he is, should win the Liston because... Uh, He's at Eastern Hill. Eastern Hill, yeah. I mean, last year Billy Swan won it, and of course he works on the wharf. And uh, I think before that, Vic Annanson. I don't think Vic worked at all. Right. Well, so it's, it's something special, special about Vic, Vic was in the, in the sub-proletariat. Mm. Yeah, he was from the top of a, a high-rise flat, I think, but it was a fair way to walk down with those legs. Yeah, well, I think Peter continues that tradition. He's just so deserving of that award. He's a, a great player, and he's a good, sort of guy that you could always rely on in the in the crunches, really. Now, Dennis Jost didn't publish all the details. I was a bit, a bit disappointed to see Ross Brewer wasn't up there. He, did he get any votes at all? No, I don't know, Joe. You weren't invited to the dinner, Richard? No, no, we, we had a team you meeting. You were having a team night. meeting to plan for next year. <laughs> the big plans, big plans for next year. Watch out, I'll tell you. Actually... Yeah. Phil and south, I south to Sydney, where will we move Sandringham to? Burnley, Devonport. <laughs> Phil and I were just talking about all the cliches that you hear around a footy club at this time of the year when, when everyone's going around licking their wounds and thinking, well, 85 yeah, is going to be a big there's year. There's plenty of cliches up at Coburg, like who's going to be coaching next year? <laughs> <laughs> no, the only cliches are about the punter to punter could have been game tomorrow. That's right, and uh, you're turning it on for us up there at Coburg. Yes, there'll be a big spread put on. I think there'll be party pies and uh, savloys and that after the game for the could have beens and the, and the punter crew. And who's been mentioned to take your job for next year? Um, 
Um, I'm not sure. My Bob Kedis position <laughs> down at Sandy. Actually, I work in Coburg. <laughs> I work in Coburg. We we said we really better talk about the the up and coming young teams of the VFA and how they've made the finals. But Phil and I find it a bit hard to talk You're about too them. Too bitter to do it. Well, yeah. we beat both. Uh, well, we beat Campbell. Both of us beat Campbell, and I'm sure that uh, you know they've probably deserved where they are, but. I think it's interesting with Campbell, actually, but I'm wondering whether they'll all be up at the ski, up, up, up skiing at the snow. Mm. For Campbell, be. I suppose, because that's one of those nice, pleasant, sort of conservative middle-class belts that will be buying their après gear. Do you reckon? Well, I reckon they would. They wouldn't oh. get out of the bloody I junction oval letting, with all letting, the grog swill going you're on. You're letting poetic licence get away with you, but there are little wooden houses in Campbell, you know. But yeah, what, but they've all been renovated. <laughs> what's the game on, on telly tomorrow? <laughs> what you, uh, it might be uh, the uh, Frankston Port Melbourne. The Frankston. Frankston um, they don't even know. Good, good staunch face <laughs> We just don't want to know. <laughs> no, I think it. I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be a good contest. And I think it's probably good for the VFA that you got two newer sides. Uh, not two well, what's newer your, sides, but what two sides have been. Well, I think that uh, Camberwell, you know, could win, and I think Frankston could win, but oh, I'm not sure. It's going to be one of them for sure. Back to the Greg Champion School. Let's draw. I, I think that uh, I'm a real believer in informed teams, and Frankston. Frankston have fought their way through a thick and thin over the last few years, really. They, their battles they certainly the fought their division. way through last Sunday. Didn't they? Didn't they? And, yeah. Uh, did, oh, I just think that they'll make it. I think they're a much better team than Campbell. Me too. What about the second division game? Well, Box Hill. Did you see the article the other day about the Box Hill? In 1980, they were going to fold the club, and suddenly they bounced back with bingo. Four nights a week, thousand people, <laughs> thousand people a night a, a week through the club, and they paid they paid Gee. off their forty thousand dollar debts. Do you have any bingo down at Sandy? Actually, we are. We are. Oh, this is you've had, at the team meeting. You decided you'd have bingo, <laughs> but it's just for the players. We want to learn numbers and things. Yeah, it'd be help. Do you have bingo up at Coburg? Yeah, we run bingo down at the uh, Northern Bingo Centre, yeah. Monday to Thursday, right. Tuesday to Thursday. Well, this back. is this is the plan for next year. You could actually stop playing footy and just become bingo clubs. That's you might you might go better. You might win more. Well, it's funny, Jeff, because we had a marketing manager at Sandringham for six months employed, and the only thing that we can come up with to make money. Association, really. Well. Give what us your about view. Give us your view. Well, sure. The, the lack of the lack of solidarity amongst the players' association astounds me. I think when you get statements coming out of clubs by various players, in fact, Lee Matthews made a statement, which I don't know exactly what it was, but I don't think it was all that complimentary of the players' association. Or in fact, it didn't show great solidarity. And then there were statements made about players' meetings at various clubs. But the other thing that surprises me is I can't understand why the players' association have made no statement about the VFA. They have talked about penalty rates, and I heard Simon talking good scab talk before earlier in the show about players not being entitled to penalty rates. In fact, if they play on a Sunday when normally they're playing on Saturdays and the league is after more profit, they're entitled to get some sort of uh, remuneration from that. But that's, that's one question. But certainly you would expect them to mention the VFA, and it is in their interest to keep the VFA going because players often finish up back in the VFA in their later years. Well, what sort of representation is there for the players as an organised body in the VFA? Well, that th there isn't at the moment. It's been discussed. It was, you know, I mean, I I talked about that years ago, and uh, this year we spoke to you're a boss George. now, so you'll be yeah, trying to stop that's it. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, Howard Howard Lee, we did it. George and I spoke to Howard Lee and suggested it'd be a good. It would be a good idea. I mean, it's very surely important. Howard Lee wouldn't start it, would he? No, he wouldn't start. He just likes to write about it. <laughs> then he'd oppose it. But um, I think w that's what the VFA players do need. It would be very uh, beneficial to the VFA players to have an association that would communicate. Then joint statements would have come out like last week. 
if joint statements were issued by the VFL and VFA Players Associations, I think it would be in the interest of football players. And I'm sick of the administrators, really. Mm. OK, well, that's spoken with the gay abandon of someone who doesn't really who thinks that their, their job's gone for next year. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you will have got over your bitterness by next week, boys. Michael Pollock's here to give you a hot pot shot at footy trivia. Prove you're not a pack of clots. A your knowledge, lest it rots. Front facts and footy figures most folks forgot. And score yourself a dozen bots. Compliments of the Aberdeen Hotel in North Fitzroy. Now, posing prickly puzzles and prime problems, Michael, come on, you're on, my boy. Woof, woof, woof. It's a sad fact but true that for every premiership side there must be a wooden spooner. And the side with the most wooden spoons is St Kilda with 21 and a big chance to add another one today. In fact, the Saints won seven of the first eight VFL wooden spoons and in the first six years won one match. In the years since the league has consisted of 12 teams, North Melbourne have won the wooden spoon 13 times, including three in a row, 1921 to 1929 to 1931. But surely a unique achievement is Fitzroy's, who in a war-ravaged league in 1916 competed with just three other clubs. The Roans finished last after the first round of matches, but since a top four system of finals operated, Fitzroy managed to scrape into that last remaining finals position. Showing how history has that habit of repeating itself, eh, folks? And in the final series, the Lions swept all before them and actually managed to win the grand final, the only time the Wooden Spooners won the premiership. Carlton's never won the Wooden Spoon, Collingwood once, with the highest number of wins by a Wooden Spoon side, that's six, and the longest time since a club has won it is 50 years, Essendon having last won it in 1933. This week's question, call 4192066 with the answer, who were the other three sides in the 1916 VFL apart from the Premiers? Ah yes, that's music to Uncle's ears. And now here's more music to your ears. It's the panel. Thanks a lot, Uncle Doug. It certainly is the panel. And talking about home and away games for the last time this year, and I want to ignore all the other boring games, I want to talk about Richmond and Melbourne. I think this will be the best game today. All these other ones, we've got all these grubby yeah, concerns. You can't keep picking Richmond after last Saturday. I mean, well, of course the I last can. game of the season, you got a big show of picking against them. Look, Chris, we were both there. We both saw how bad they played. I'm not t- and denying any And this week you're saying they're going to play better. Oh, what I'm going to say is that it'll be the best game to watch. All the other sides, they're going to be grubbing around, worrying about a spot on the ladder and all this sort of stuff. What's going to be decided at the MCG today is the Brownlow medal. We've got Mark Lee and Peter Moore up against each other. The, the one who wins that is probably well, going to stitch think, up uh, the medal for himself. We'll see fast, open football. Neither side's got anything to lose, and it'll be pleasant for us, the supporters, because we won't have any real rancour in our hearts or souls. We'll just be able to enjoy the spectacle, the spectacle that's been lacking at football all year, and this is why people have been staying away. 
Chris, are you going to lift your game and tip Richmond and no, come I'm, to the footy? No, I'm not, Jeff. We've both got this uh, Richmond morning sackcloth on today, I think. Uh, go with a grey uh, t-shirt, woolen t-shirts here. I think, look, Graham player. Richmond's been spending too much time with those punk rockers down in the Seaview ballroom, and I think he'd better wash the gel out of his hair and... Uh, pull a safety pin out of his cheek and stick it in some of those I, Richmond players. I just wish you'd put a jumper on, on a couple of them and mm-hmm. run them out on the ground. But who have you got playing at full forward this Next weekend? year, Pickering's a full forward today. Yeah. And he's a and good player. Solve the forward line problem, you think? Should yeah. never have been dumped out of the side at any stage. But, Bob, I suppose you're going to go for Melbourne. I, yeah, I'm really, Jeff, I see the sort of games where I just wonder why I follow football. I really just have no interest in today's game. And, uh, Look at this, and this is I a might, former, this is a former, really this is a former player. Why even think about it? He's a former football. player and he's got no interest. So, uh, just no. Melbourne former players, when Bob Stewart turns up to the former players' room up there in the northern <laughs> stand, you heard him this morning, I'd bar him. Well, look, I looked at I looked at the... Uh, they brought out a, a history of Melbourne and... Uh, it was Geoffrey Mar- Blaney wrote that one, did he? <laughs> it could have been written by him. It was pretty... Yeah, uh, that's, why pretty they, basic, that's why they got rid of Lally Bamblett. Yeah, well, it's going to be a pretty... Uh, I, I don't know, Jeff. I, I suspect Richmond will win because Melbourne really have just lost all form and uh, all of everything. It's a bit disappointing, isn't it, to see a team that was so... Effective. Disappointing and, uh, for you, Bob. Well, disappointing for a lot of people because there was so much, wasn't there? So much. I noticed that in the age, Bob, uh, they've all gone for Melbourne bar one, uh, but I felt the Tigers were a definite chance today, what with the mercurial people like Jimmy Jess, and uh, I think I'll have the Tigers to try and get back onto the winning way in the tipping competition. I need that little break just to launch me up to the top <laughs> spot. I'm going to go for the Tigers. Good on you, I agree. Well, champs, I'm glad you've muscled your way back onto Mike because I was going to give you a big game today. I thought you and Hutcho could perhaps talk about uh, Carlton and who they're playing today. Oh, they're look, I've got strong words about this. Strong words about this game. Last week, the coach stormed into the uh, the Carlton coach. This is stormed into the into the rooms and had strong words with the players. He said strongly. I'm not going to coach you boys anymore. <laughs> he said, you've had it. He said, there's no training tomorrow. And he pointed the finger at a few of the uh, the uh, people who didn't put in. And what, what did he have to say to Spiro, Gary? Here that Spiro um, certainly lacked a bit of form. Well, Spiro lacked a bit of form and he wanted to know, why me, coach? He said, why me? And that was about the strongest thing he'd done all day. So <clears throat> I think they're going to go out there today and really probably lose this game in Were you an there, unbelievable Gary? fashion. Uh, just a minute, My please stop, stop phoning. The beer has been won. Were you there when David said all this? No, no, I, was a, I have a fly on the wall in the Look, Carlton can we rooms. just stop talking about Carlton? Just for a sec, sec, the other sides, the other four clubs, for those people who'd like to know the answer, were Carlton, Collingwood and Richmond. Are we going to stop talking about Carlton or are you going to keep rabbiting on? No, no, what's going to happen is that... Uh, I want to hear about South. W- South? Well, as you know, uh, uh, what's your name again, uh, Mike, uh, Gary, uh, this, if the Swans do win, of course, it could blow the Blues' double chance wide open. No, but that's what's going to happen. The Swans will most probably win, but of course Collingwood will also lose. Um, and David mm. Rhys-Jones rung up before Greg, he heard that palm Did and he? he's waiting for you downstairs. <laughs> oh, flipping heck, I was afraid that was going to happen. Sorry, just but in very briefly, and uh, just from what Gary was saying about Footscray winning and all this. A friend of mine at work who, uh, was, who, was, vying, who was vying for the tipping competition decided that instead of using his own tips, he'd used Gary Hutchinson's last week. And all, oh, he, yeah, all he could no. get was two and a hundred dollars and now down the drain, Gary, <laughs> thanks to you. No, I tried to tip Fitzroy into the, into, into the five last week and of course it didn't work. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, that's, well that's the big worry. That we might just tip them out today. My tip's with St Kilda. Simon, are you going to stick with St Kilda in this, this game that's so important? Um, which game's that? So, uh, St Kilda back at St Kilda to play the Pretenders Fitzroy and their big chance to upset everybody's 
most heartfelt sympathies which are with Fitzroy, as mine are, but I think St Kilda are going to get up. Well, I'm going for St Kilda, and um, people might be interested to know, I, I suppose there's a lot of people do um, in um, various situations have tipping competitions, and we have a, a rather extended one here involving quite a few people, and... Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm now um, nine, game, nine games clear in last position. So uh, an unbeatable bet for last spot there. And though I think I should have to have a handicap tipping St Kilda every week as I do, but traditional rivals St Kilda and Fitzroy today. And uh, down at the Junction Oval, the Saints, they like it down there. It reminds them of the good old days just before they started to be a good team when they were an average team. And um, I think they might just get up and cause a few surprises down there today. They might pull their pants down or something during the first quarter, but... I'm going to go for them to win because I barrack for them, but I don't really think they've got a hope. <laughs> OK, Dr Duke. Essendon, they've got to come back today. They're playing Bob Ansett and the Wingers. North cleaned up Hawthorne when you conveniently stayed away from the footy a couple of weeks back. Do you think North can do it to Essendon and get Hawthorne back into top spot? Uh, Essendon to win, uh, Jeff. I'd just like to mention a special guest we'll have on the show next week uh, that we should advertise for our listeners. Uh, it's, should I tell them uh, his name or just oh, say... Oh, tell, tell them everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, someone, it's someone who's uh, just uh, disgusted at some of the uh, church football oh. that uh, he sees on the, uh, on the ground this year. Yes, Doug Bigelow will be appearing on the show next week. Um, and I notice we've been inv invaded by those uh, Bisleri buffoons. Um, buffoons. What's all this <laughs> about? Bisleri buffoons tomorrow afternoon down at the Coburg yeah, football ground. Mind your ground. language, pal. Uh, we're going to do you like a dinner. Now, I, I just want to say, boys, and it's great to see you all in here this morning. There's more of us than you. I, I'm well aware of that. So I'm just going to say, may the best team win, and we will. Uh, Connie, before you get into tomorrow's game, which is the really important one, Today, the Hawks and Geelong out at the park. You're not going, I take it. Oh, you're putting me on the spot, uh, Geoffrey. Uh, well, uh, are they playing today, are they? <laughs> Hawthorne, Geelong. It has to be Hawthorne for mine camp. What with uh, Lee Matthews back and uh, and uh, Peter Hudson playing again this tomorrow. <laughs> we got every chance. No worries. Okay, well, Dr. Turf, um, Footscray, they're, they're going out to Vic Park. They've got to knock off Collingwood if they're going to have any hope of playing in the finals. You're a betting man, you know where the smart money is. Is there well, fine cotton in the carpets of the Collingwood Social Club <laughs> or what? Apparently, Jeff, you know, I think Footscray's got a good chance today. Uh, I've been knocking Collingwood all year, no point in getting off. Uh, very short favourite, uh, Essendon for the flag, Jeff. Five to four, very early, I think. Really? Uh, but and something Fitzroy? of interest uh, tomorrow that anyone who uh, King hits Comrasco, $20 from Dr. Fur. <laughs> 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 OK, well, look, let's, let's get on to tomorrow's game. Slim Whittle, your tip. What? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Punter to punter to win uh, by a mile. We we beat you fair and square last time. It wasn't fairly by reported in the running papers. Away from us. I thought we won. Rubbish, you won. Uh, but uh, punter to punter is going to win uh, with the services of Rocky. Um, if you're listening, Rocky, we need you, mate. Um, I know he's a three CR boy, but he he said he'll play for us this year. And uh, with him in the in the forward line, we'll be firing away. Okay, Slim, look, just for our purposes, uh, what time does the game start so we get well, there about, in time? about so, uh, 2 o'clock. 3 o'clock, uh, you blokes <laughs> right at 3 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, up, up at Coburg Footy Ground. You've got the Fitzroy jumpers, uh, what with uh, our own Peter Hudson on the team, you know, we had to wear the Hawthorne jumpers, I'm afraid. Oh, that, that's a lovely gesture. And look, listeners, before, before we Colin's bow out... Colin's going to be playing full forward, so I've given our players some uh, instructions. Kick to the pockets! It's one of my finest acting roles yet, playing full forward. You got a new pair of runners for it? I've got to find some footy boots. Have you guys got any spare footy boots? No, 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 no
Okay, look, listeners, uh, bookings are open for the Footy Follies Night at the Hawthorne Social Club, where the Three Triple R panel will take on the ABC panel in a trivia quiz, and also you'll see the Could Have Been Champions in Cabaret, featuring that Charles Aznavora football, Greg Champion. This is 13th of September, so in office hours next week, start phoning in to book your table, and also write in to reserve yourself a copy of the Could Have Been Champions Better Of album. So look out Has for those Lindsay things. Airport bought this show or something? <laughs> yes. Okay, look, that's about, that's about it from me. Good morning. Good morning, all you panel. Morning, morning, morning viewers. Morning, nice